Prometheus has landed. They came searching for the beginnings of men. Are you seeing this? We're not alone anymore. What they found... Jesus Christ. ...could be the end of mankind. What's that? Take us home! Get it out of me! Get it out of me! Hello, folks, and welcome to Treks in Sci-Fi. Today is June the 10th, 2012. This will be podcast 388, and it won't be about a Prometheus podcast, even though you heard a little TV trailer spot there for the new movie, new sci-fi film from Ridley Scott and a bunch of other people, of course, that worked on it that just came out in theaters on Friday. But I will give a very... A uh, spoiler-free quick review, because I did go see the movie yesterday, and I'll talk about that here shortly uh, after we get started on the podcast. But the main topic today, going to do uh, a Deep Space Nine two-part episode. This is from Season 2, which actually kind of shocked me. I didn't realize this happened in, in only Season 2. For some reason, I thought this, thought this pair of episodes was three or four season. I always have to dig up what season it is. I, I, I know the episode, but I... I I lose track of which season they're in. Anyway, we're going to look at a two-part uh, episode called The Maquis, which for anyone who knows Deep Space Nine and Voyager knows all about what the Maquis are and, and what they're all about. So that will be on today's show. Uh, a, a pair of episodes. It's going to probably mean this ep- uh, podcast episode is going to go a bit long because uh, I've got a bunch of other stuff to talk about. It's been a couple of weeks since I talked to you. Thanks again to uh, both Rick Moyer and Chris, who oh, did that amazingly cool and great and ape-tastic, yes. We have to keep saying that all the time now. The ape-tastic uh, podcast last week on the Planet of the Apes film saga and other things and TV and books and stuff. Uh, I really appreciated that, guys. Uh, fantastic job. You crammed a ton in in, in a podcast. So I, I, and I know how, as doing those kinds of shows, I know how hard that is to do and you feel like you got to cut this or that, and you want to say this, and you want to say that, and you could make it a 10-hour podcast easily. So, again, great job. I appreciate it. Um, and I always appreciate everyone who does guest spots. We've got uh, another one coming up. Uh, the, the Alien Boys will be next week here uh, covering Alien 3 as they work their way through the Alien film saga. And I know, um, I'm sure, especially Brian is probably chomping at the bit to do a, a Prometheus podcast already. So anyway, uh, without any further ado, we're going to talk about uh, other news and information on Trek and stuff uh, here on today's show and, and talk, of course, a lot about the Maquis and other, a few other things in, in the latest film news going on in the world of sci-fi and fantasy. So sit back, relax, and let's get to the show.
right, so here we go with the show proper, as they say. The show proper. We're going to go into the Treks and Sci-Fi proper show now. And all the Brits who listen are cringing at my terrible accent. And I didn't even, it wasn't even an attempt, really, so I don't know why I went that way. But hey, sometimes you got to do that. Uh, it is a Sunday, as always, although it's a little later this morning. Uh, between gathering a bunch of clips from the two-part Maquis episode and, and getting a few things going today, some laundry and just a bunch of other stuff, it's about yeah, almost 11 o'clock here, which I'm usually podcasting on Sundays when I do it by about 9, so uh, I'll probably sound a little bit more awake, maybe. <laughs> I don't usually sound asleep, do I? I, I don't know. So uh, I don't listen to my podcast. Occasionally I listen to the first minute or two to make sure everything sounds okay, to make sure I didn't do mess up on the the uh, mixer or something happened weird. Although I can see as it's recording in Audacity how it's going, so it looks okay. Anyway, so how's everyone doing? It's been a couple of weeks, and it seems like it's for some reason this couple of weeks seems like it's been a long period of time. Here in the U.S., we had Memorial Day weekend, uh, did some things then. I'm actually taking a day off work tomorrow because I, I'm just kind of burned out a little bit on the whole thing. And uh, and it just, uh, it's been a yeah, busy and rough kind of couple of weeks there and just kind of grinding me down. Uh, so I, I needed another day off and uh, taking a three-day or having a three-day weekend. Uh, so that'll be good for tomorrow. And uh, I've seen a few movies and just lots of other stuff going on. The weather's getting much warmer here in Michigan. And it just is, uh, I, I enjoy summer. Between getting out to see summer movies, even cutting the grass, just getting outside. You know, in Michigan, it's just the weather is so cold and dark most of the year. Uh, I think we really appreciate it when we start to have these nice days. I, uh, I notice uh, we're one of the rare houses right now in the neighborhood that doesn't have our air conditioning on really yet. And <laughs> it, uh, you know, it cools off still pretty good at night. And we haven't had what I would call the intensely hot days yet. I mean, it it was about 90, 89 yesterday, but it cooled off at night, so it wasn't too bad. So there you go with your week, week or biweekly uh, weather report from Michigan. <laughs> All right, let's just get ready to some news and talk and, and, and tell you what I've uh, seen lately. And uh, a couple of movies, especially, actually three movies, three movies uh, that just came out this summer recently in the last couple of weeks that I saw that I want to touch on uh, before I forget uh, during this podcast. Because I think the last time I remember recording, I, I, since it made such an impression on me, Battleship, I, 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 I kind of slammed that review at the very end of, I think, the last time I podcasted. So to start off with, I saw Men in Black 3. Saw Men in Black 3. I think it was on Memorial Day on that Monday I went to see it. Uh, I think that's when. Yeah, anyway, uh, good movie, solid movie. Uh, I think it was a lot of fun. Great to see those guys back doing that, uh, you know, with Will Smith and Tommy Lee Jones and Josh Brolin doing the the young version of Tommy Lee. You know, the, from the trailers and previews, I'm not giving anything away. It, it involves time travel to a degree, and uh, but it was a, it was a lot of fun. There's some, there's some good heart in this movie too. It shows that the relationship between the two main characters, uh, J and K, have kind of has kind of you know gotten more in you know just they've gotten closer as they've worked over the years, and and it, it's it's a good movie, very much in the Men in Black type realm. Some strange things, uh, but I think actually this movie doesn't pull out the strange creatures maybe quite as much as some of the other ones have but uh, and nothing you know there is still some of that but maybe not as much there's a couple of them but uh, it's got a little more straightforward kind of a plot in a way I think and uh, and, and, I, and I enjoyed it and it also it involves um, you know uh, going back in the, into the late 60s which uh, 
uh, is uh, you know a fun era to to have a movie set in. Anytime they do that in a movie is always good, time travel wise. You know to to see past. Just, you know, realms and times, the 50s with Back to the Future and the 60s for this one. And so it's a it's a fun movie. If you've enjoyed the other Men in Black movies, uh, especially the first one, I think this is uh, well worth seeing. So next uh, I saw Dark Shadows, Dark Shadows with Johnny Depp, which is sort of a big film adaptation. I don't know if you call it a remake. People throw the word around remake a lot these days. I don't know if it's really a remake. It's more of a reimagining to a degree, although I, I never really watched the television show much. I may have seen an episode or two over the years, but uh, it wasn't something that I was very into. Uh, but the movie was fun. I, I think uh, I will say the movie is, is a little more uh, kind of uh, not exactly what the previews show. It's It's got some uh, darker elements at certain points. Uh, I still think Johnny Depp's character... Um, Barnabas Collins is, is is kind of a he's kind of humorous to a degree, even if it's unintentional at times. But uh, you know Johnny Depp, I think just any movie he he pretty much is in, I I've enjoyed. I even I've, I've watched some of his less popular stuff too, uh, and uh, it's it's just he just always does a fun thing and with whatever role he's got. So uh, the the other thing that was kind of fun about this movie is it was set also in the past. It's it's mostly set around in the 70s. So you've got the music of that era and and the styles and looks and clothing and and that I think is a lot of fun. One thing I will say, I saw this movie at a little local theater and I don't know if anyone out there has seen this movie and noticed this too. But the theater isn't the best for watching and projecting a movie. I mean, it's 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 one of these small little little theaters that are still around in some towns. Uh, but the movie had kind of this sort of I guess cloudiness to it is the best way to describe it, or kind of a, an eeriness and a, almost like there was a mist always in the movie flowing across it, and in in most of it, especially any scene that was sort of outside in the evening and all. And maybe it was atmosphere that was added in. I don't know. Maybe it was just um, the projection that I was seeing. It wasn't bad. It wasn't like I couldn't see what was going on or anything like that. But I just I just thought I'd mention that and, and see if anyone else who is. Uh, listening has noticed that and shoot me an email treksf at gmail.com and let me know what you think and uh and i'd love speaking of that uh please send me some of your reviews audio about uh some of these summer movies that you're seeing maybe some tv reviews of anything you might be still watching that's still on uh or books and anything like that uh, i've got one to play later on uh, a review of a, of a trek doctor who comment that i'm going to play here at a break here in a few uh that someone sent in but those are always good. I always like to intersperse those with the show uh, when I get a chance or during the show. Okay, uh, so Dark Shadows, fun movie, uh, and I don't know how good it was compared to the TV series, how much they took liberties with, or, you know, like I said, I don't know that show. I, I think they, they, you know, maybe have the essence of it there, but they probably, of course, adapted it for a, a two-hour movie. And the last thing I want to touch upon uh, very briefly and with uh, as spoiler-free as pretty much I possibly can, I don't think it'll be giving anything away that you haven't seen in these trailers if you've watched a movie trailer to uh, Prometheus, which I just saw yesterday, so it's very fresh in my mind. Uh, it's it's a really cool sci-fi epic kind of movie. Of course, this is the Ridley Scott sort of prequel, and I'll put that kind of in quotes, to the whole alien uh, saga of films that he did, and and I and it's uh, and it is kind of that, uh, but there's a lot more to it, and and I also don't think you necessarily need to know 
those alien movies real well or or maybe even at all to enjoy this movie so i will say you know it's not like you know it has some super you know connection direct connection that if you haven't seen those you wouldn't know what's going on here so uh and i don't think they've really emphasized that in the preview so i don't think anyone's too worried about that although i probably would have to say that most people i would think that go out to see this movie have seen those other movies i i would think uh especially since it's in that kind of realm and genre a bit uh but uh i thought it was a very solid movie was it was it a a, a great great epic movie that you know is right up there with the first alien or maybe even the second aliens uh you know aliens film i wouldn't i would say not i think there's some things that are kind of missing in this movie i can easily see this movie having a you know i think it was a little more than two hours along uh and i can easily see a blu-ray release with about an hour of uh extended footage and scenes of of things that were cut out because because the movie i think doesn't you know it it it's it, it's pretty quick paced and all, but there there is stuff that I think they could have used a little more time to kind of explain a few things to a degree. Now, the the, the story going around, you know, one of the guys that worked on the writing for this movie, Damon Lindloff, I think that's how you say his name, Lindloff. Damon Lindloff should be a, a probably recognizable name to a lot of people that listen to this podcast. He worked on Lost. He's done a lot of movie scripts these days. Uh, so. You know, and but he has a tendency to to write things that are not completely uh, spelled out for you, uh, and and that's got both positives and negatives to it. I, I'm mostly okay with that kind of thing, for the most for the most part. Uh, but it it does leave things open to interpretation at certain points to a degree. Uh, but uh, and, and I don't think it's a big knock or anything like that. But that's some of the stuff that people have been kind of saying. So I'm not going to say too much. I, the movie just came out a couple of days ago. I know it came out a, a little earlier than that in, in other parts of the world in the U.S. Uh, but I, I, I will say it's, it's well worth seeing. Keep in mind a couple of things. One, this movie is rated R. I don't think it's a movie for real little kids. Uh, it's certainly probably by about teenager age. I don't think there'd be a problem, but it is rated R. There are some scenes that are, you know, depending on how strong your stomach is, uh, you know, it's, uh, you know, just be forewarned of that a little bit. Uh, so, uh, but I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the movie. It, it is amazing looking. I will say that the production values, they spared no expense. And uh, it is very much worth seeing it on the big screen if this kind of movie appeals to you. I, I always try to emphasize that because I think a lot of people miss out and they think, oh, I can just watch it on my HD TV at home. And, and that's an okay experience, but there's still, again, to me, something about seeing it on the big screen in a movie theater that's dark with a bunch of other people that is, is very uh, enjoyable for a movie that uh, of this kind of quality. You know, I, I, a lot of comedies and romantic comedies and dramas, I'll wait to watch on Netflix or DVDs or Blu-rays later or whatever on my home theater uh, because it's not like it's so epic and huge and has some amazing scenes like when the Prometheus is the name of the ship in this movie comes to land on the planet uh, which you know you see kind of scenes of that in the movie so it's not a or in the trailer but uh, you know just as it's going through the clouds and stuff it's just just incredible uh, footage of uh, of effects for that uh, I will say uh, because of course I've said many times I'm not a 3d fan by any means so i saw it in normal uh normal movie <laughs> mode not 3d uh and uh and the the bits that i've been hearing is people say well they, the, for the ones that saw it in 3d say yeah there was some stuff they kind of noticed when they were watching it but it was like 
did it really need to be that way? I, I don't know. Uh, I, I can't really answer that. And I'm not going to get into that kind of discussion or debate, but I just will say that's at least the way I saw it. So, so that's it. Uh, I just clapped my hands. I don't know if you heard that. I don't know why, but, uh, I, and I'm going to come back with a few more little bits of news, Trek news, uh, a little bit of movie talk there. And then we'll get into the Maquis because we need to get going on that two-part episode. But during this break, I'm going to play, uh, like I said, I have an audio clip that was sent in uh, from Will, I think. Uh, and this is about the uh, the latest uh, crossover comic involving Star Trek and Doctor Who. Yes, combined, two tastes in one, like Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. Uh, and, and I've read the first issue and enjoyed it, so I, I'm interested to hear what Will has to say. And uh, here we go with that, and I'll be back after his comments and talk a little bit about Trek and other things. Hello everybody, this is Will, and I wanted to make a comment on the new Star Trek The Next Generation Doctor Who crossover comic published by IDW. IDW started publishing Doctor Who in 2007, and Star Trek comics also in 2007. IDW's first Trek comic was a Star Trek The Next Generation miniseries. The, the Doctor Who Star Trek crossover comic came out at the end of May, and is written by Scott and David Timpton with Tony Lee. Scott and David Timpton have written many of the Star Trek comics for IDW, and Tony Lee has written a lot of the Doctor Who comics. There are many different covers that came out for issue number one. I don't know if they will do this many covers for the other issues. There are six different covers for issue number one, and I posted one on the forum, and Rico posted another one on the Daily Trek pick. Now, on to the greatest crossover event to hit comics since Superman vs. Spider-Man in 1976. I really enjoyed the story. It is very well written and starts off with a bang. Most of issue number one focuses on the Doctor, Amy, and Rory. The Next Generation crew don't even show up till the end. I really liked how the Doctor and the Next Gen crew come together. I didn't expect the way they brought them together in this story. Very cool. I didn't like the art style of this issue, but it's not bad. Just not a style I enjoy as much. The art was done by J.K. Woodward. The art style will not keep me away from other issues. This will run eight issues ending in December. Issue number one gets a 9 out of 10 rating from me. If you're a Doctor Who fan or Star Trek fan, you would enjoy this book. You can wait for the graphic novel to come out, but I think that's too long to wait to be transported into this story. Looking forward to hearing your podcast this week, and I hope everybody has a great week. Well, thanks very much, Will, for your comments on the on the first issue uh, again of this crossover of Doctor Who and Star Trek: The Next Generation. It, uh, yeah, I, I enjoyed it very much, even more than I thought I was going to. And we'll see where they go with the story, but uh, I thought that they uh, did a fantastic job. It's uh, and actually, I'm a, a much bigger fan of the art style than than you uh, obviously are from your your comments. Uh, it, it, just to give people an idea of what that is, it's it, the, the guy that does the art for this, and I've seen this done in other comics over the years that I've read. Comics is more of a painterly kind of style uh, than than a normal kind of like drawing with with coloring, like people do it a lot digitally these days. It's more of like each each. Uh, uh, cell and stuff or each panel I should say cell uh, panel in the comic is, is a, like a little mini painting so it, it's it's softer looking and more 
kind of a pastel look. Ah, that's not really the right word. But anyway, you guys probably understand what I mean. It's it's a little more painterly styled than, than a normal comic is done these days. So I, I thought that that fit the story and, and the way they're putting it together uh, real well. It's I can see it not being in a you know the the biggest uh, or or an appeal always to everyone, but I, I was fine with the art. So definite uh, must buy. I, I, it's really uh, difficult to pick up too. Uh, it it was selling out everywhere. So I I uh, I would advise people if you're really interested to watch or getting this book, pre-order it online at some places, or if you have a local comic shop still. Try to get it there and make sure your guys are setting a copy aside. Because I don't think the Star Trek books, at least in the comic shops I go to, I don't think they order a lot of copies of those to have on hand. So, uh, But anyway, uh, definitely worth reading, and thanks so much for your comments, Will. All right, now let's get to uh, a few Trek stories. I'm already 20 minutes in this podcast, way too much time on other things, but we'll speed through this. I'm going to spend just a minute or two. I am going to play, uh, this is uh, online at trekmovie.com. Simon Pegg, and this is going to be some Star Trek uh, movie news. He's, Simon Pegg has been kind of the unofficial uh, Twitterer at Twitter. Twitter, Twitter uh, he's been Twittering and pictures. There are some pictures of some alternate uniforms. Uh, most of this stuff you can see at Trek Movie, and, and some of it I've redone and put up over at uh, our Facebook page. Uh, Treks in Sci-Fi now has a group, Treks in Sci-Fi. Uh, just search for that on Facebook groups. Also, there's a link on the main treksinsci-fi.com webpage, a big old link that says Facebook over to the right-hand side of the, uh, the main page there. And if you're on Facebook, join our group. Join our Treks in Sci-Fi group. I'm putting things up there story-wise. Other people are, and I'm also, of course, continuing to put some of that stuff up on the forum and the main site and, and all over. And uh, But uh, Simon Pegg, who plays, of course, uh, Montgomery Scott, Chief Engineer Scotty, in the new Trek film from 2009 and the new one that's coming out next year, he has been posting little bits here and there. The latest things that he's been saying, one is that Benedict Cumberbatch is not playing Khan in in the next film. He is not the character of Khan. Now, I still think he's going to be a, a, a eugenics creation, a Superman kind of guy uh, for the film, but maybe his name and his character is not Khan. He's just another genetically engineered human, or perhaps. That's my guess. That's not, of course, any confirmed, but that's just kind of my gut feeling. I think he's playing a little sly game there by saying he's not Khan. That's, now... He might not be. He might be a completely brand new character to Star Trek and the universe as a whole, and uh, or he could be playing something else that we saw in the original series, like Gary Mitchell or who knows what. But he's he's saying he's not Khan, so uh, you got to take him at his word. But I'm going to play about a minute. There's not much that he reveals in this little minute clip. I'm going to play. There's nothing really revealing, but he is mentioning a bit about how many British people they have on on the new movie. They have stopped filming. They're finished with that. But but anyway, listen to this clip here. Chris Pine sort of described it as relentless, sort of very action-packed. Would you kind of agree with that as compared to the first? Yeah, absolutely. It's yeah, it's it is relentless. It's um, you know, it's it's relentlessly entertaining. I'm sure, and we're all extremely happy with it. And I can't wait. I can't wait for people to see it. And this is kind of the British invasion because obviously Benedict and and Alice Eve are now both. Yeah, we did have a British corner on set. It was like me, Alice, and Benedict would often hang out and talk about the Queen and stuff and drink tea. <laughs> Got to be done. <laughs> When you're feeling homesick, how, how yeah. has the dynamic sort of shifted? It does it similar or? It was, you know what? It, it's such a great bunch of people, and 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 to have Alice and Benedict and Peter Weller as well join mm. join everyone just settled in so easily. Uh, you know, the JJ Abrams is very good at casting people that are going to work well together, and mm. we're very much a sort of family, you know. And it, it was um, it was a joy again, a joy even more so than the first time. 
Well, there you have a little bit of uh, Simon Pegg doing an interview uh, and talking a little bit about the next uh, Trek film. Yeah, there are quite a few Brits in this uh, in this new movie, so that'll be uh, yeah, it's cool to see, and and I'm happy for that. Uh, I think, uh, like you said, J.J. Abrams does a J, just a, usually a great job at casting. Every movie, I've always thought one of his strengths in, in movies and television shows that that J.J. works on and is involved in is is his the actors that he picks are just dead on great for this for the roles from from fringe to back when he worked on alias uh to to of course star trek and everything in between you know jj knows how to get the right right people for the right job so that that i think is is one reason why i think his stuff is so good uh even like the movie super eight last summer i thought had a, a great young cast uh that i think was was very well picked so uh so there you go and uh it's uh, it looks uh, like things are moving along. So next May we'll all know <laughs> about this movie. There is talk that there may be a a short teaser trailer sometime out by the end of July for the next Star Trek movie. Maybe for around mid to end July, around Comic Con time, perhaps. Uh, so uh, so keep an eye out for that. Uh, just lots of things to look forward to over the next you know 11 months as things gear up for this next star trek movie it's it's a very exciting time and i think uh i think we're going to be pleased i i i just can't imagine these guys all this talent came together and is going to give us anything but a a great time at the movies and and uh, i'm really looking forward to it just wish it had come here a little or come out a little sooner but you know as they say all good things come to those that wait i guess that's it and now we're almost a half hour into the podcast and we're going to talk about uh, the two-part from Season 2 of Deep Space Nine episode um, called The Maquis. We're going to shift right over to that, and I'm going to play a clip. I'm going to just play a clip right at the beginning of that show uh, and just get right into talking about that because it's going to take a bit to talk about this two-part episode, a little more time than a, than a single uh, a single episode would take uh, on the podcast. So here we go with uh, Deep Space Nine's Part 1 of The Maquis. Feel like getting together for dinner tonight? Can't. I'm having dinner with Captain Baudet. The Galamite? You're going out on a date with him? Is something wrong with that? No. Not at all. He happens to be brilliant. His brain is twice the size of yours and mine. I know. I've seen it. It's not his fault. Galamites have transparent skulls. No, it's not. It's not exactly the view I want to have with dinner. You know, Kira, sometimes I think you place too much emphasis on how men look. What's that supposed to mean? Nothing. Look, when I kiss a man goodnight, I like to know where I'm kissing him. I guess seven lifetimes gives me a somewhat broader perspective. Well, since I just have one lifetime, I have to be a little more particular about whom I go out with. I never said I wasn't particular. I'm not the one who dates Ferengis. And what's that supposed to mean? Nothing. Releasing docking clamps at upper pylon one. That's funny. I'm picking up elevated. DS9 to Bachnor, shut down your engines. Repeat, shut down your engines. Oh, report. Some kind of impulse overload. Checking. Ops to all engineering personnel, report to rescue stations. We have an SID in progress. There's nothing left of it. There's no one left to rescue. All 
All right, the uh, the two part episode here, the Maquis. This is going to be going through part one, and then we'll of course go on to part 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 two, <laughs> and right away it is. Uh, let's see, the story is by Rick Berman, Michael Piller, Jerry Taylor, and James Crocker. Teleplay by James Crocker, directed by part one, directed by David Livingston, uh, our, our re- regular director for. TNG, Deep Space Nine, and others. Uh, this was first aired on April 24th, 1994. It is again from season two, episode 20, I think, of that season. Yes. So uh, basically, the, the Maquis uh, tells the story about what's going on with the Federation colonies inside the DMZ or the Demilitarized Zone, which is an area of space that uh, was created. Uh, when the Federation and the Cardassians uh, formed this sort of peace treaty. Uh, and this is much like the neutral zone for Romulan space uh, between uh, the Romulan space and the Federation. It is uh, and it's exactly what it sounds like, the de- demilitarized zone. There's not supposed to be any military bases in there, not really supposed to be weapon caches uh, and things. But the problem that happened was when this demilitarized zone was created uh, between the Federation and Cardassian border of space, the the Federation colonies kind of got abandoned in there. And not only that did they get abandoned, they weren't left independent, they weren't left as really sort of Federation colonies. Uh, what they did is they sort of messed up and swapped things around. Some of the f- formerly Federation colonies were turned over to sort of Cardassian control and vice versa. And that, of course, as you can think about it, didn't go over too well with the Federation people that were settled on some of these these colonies and these planets. Uh, it's, um, they had the, I guess, the opportunity to move away. You know, it's kind of like, hey, you know what, we'll, you know, to, to settle this zone here, we're going to turn control of, of this uh, little island over to, uh, you know, to, to Russia or to Germany or whatever at the end of some wartime. And you guys can leave if you want, but if you stay, you're going to be stuck with them as kind of running the show a bit. So uh, that, uh, and people, because they had built these colonies and built their homes, they didn't want, want to and built a life on these places. They didn't want to leave a lot of them. So that caused eventually some problems in you created this, or did create eventually this renegade band kind of of freedom fighters, they would think of themselves, which really kind of turned into terrorists throughout, you'll hear about that more in this episode, set of episodes, and they named themselves the Maquis, and the Maquis, the name comes from, they were, the name I think originally was the name for French freedom fighters during World War II, so that's where that name, the Maquis, or the Maquis comes from. Uh, and uh, I think this is a pretty solid set of episodes, and uh, there's a good uh, couple of guest characters here. One's an old friend of uh, Cisco's named Cal Hudson, and he's sort of like the Federation envoy or attache or whatever he's called. He's the Federation representative in the DMZ area, and he's an old friend of, of Cisco's. He's a commander in Starfleet, and he's been sort of assigned to kind of you know, kind of stay out there in the, the DMZ, keep the peace, uh, and report back to Starfleet and, and the Federation and everything. So that's the setup kind of what you heard at the beginning there, the clip. I, I enjoy the exchange about dates and things and dating between Dax and, and Kira. I always wished we had gotten more of those two, um, you know, the two real main female characters on DS9 kind of being able to converse and and have a little girl talk. Uh, I thought that was always a, g- a good part of it. And because there's, especially since they're such different characters anyway. Um, 
But then the uh, they what happens at the beginning of this? There's a sabotaged vessel. We'll learn about that in a moment or two. Uh, a, a Cardassian ship that's docked at, at Deep Space Nine, and it blows up as it leaves the station, the the Bachnor. And uh, and I think now would probably be a good time to play the next clip. And I think this is where we get introduced to this guest character, Cal Hudson, the old friend of Benjamin Sisko. Benjamin. Uh. Cal, thanks for coming on such short notice. I wish it didn't take a disaster like this to bring us back together again. Hi, Calvin. Jadzia Dax. Dax? <laughs> My goodness. Well, you look a lot better than when last I saw you. Chief of Security Odo, Commander Calvin Hudson, Starfleet's attaché to the Federation colonies in the new demilitarized zone. You must be concerned about the colony's security at a time like this. Well, we haven't noticed any unusual deployment from the Kadassians along the border. Neither have we, and that's what's got me worried. Let's go into my office. Lieutenant, I don't have time for this trip, but you and I have a few stories to catch up on. Next time. Next time. That woman knows more about me than any woman ever has. More than my wife, even. Tell me about it. Yeah, so that's a good scene. They, uh, you know, you get pretty easily uh, learned that the these two guys, uh, you know, Cal Hudson, Commander Hudson, and Cisco are old friends. They even knew uh, Curzon Dax uh, real well. The, the guest actor here for um, for playing uh, the um, sorry the guest cast. Uh, they what am I saying? <laughs> Cal Hudson is played by Bernie Casey. Uh, he's a, a pretty well-known character actor. He's done a lot of uh, TV over the years, I believe, films and stuff. And, and I think he, he fits the part real well here, old friend of Cisco's. And it's uh, it, it's good to see that. I always like it when they bring in, you know, people that uh, the characters have known in different ways in different times, and they they're not just a complete guest character, you know, that they've never met before. I think that adds to the drama and, and makes the episodes more interesting that way, too. Although you got to be careful with that. It's like not every time something happens wherever you happen to be, it's like, oh, it's because I've got this friend that I used to know in Starfleet that it's because of him or this or that. It's like, oh, fancy meeting you here. It's a huge, huge galaxy of everything going on and just to happen to run into someone you know that you know eh, sometimes that's a, that's a little stretching things although in this case i think it works one is both of these guys ha, you know have had about the same kind of a career they're at the both more or less the same kind of level and and that means they both kind of have similar they get put in similar situations and responsibilities so it, it works i think in this case it's, it's no problem and it certainly helps the episodes the, the pair of episodes be much more interesting and dramatic because of that so next clip i've got for you is ducat uh ducat uh played by mark alamo uh alamo how do you say his last name i don't know uh but anyway he is uh in this episode this pair of episodes quite a bit and he slips into deep space nine under the station and ends up in uh cisco's quarters so here's a clip from that scene you have a problem do i the Bachnor? Is this the Cardassian Central Command's way of responding to my communiques? On the contrary, Central Command has no idea I'm here. It's true. I'm here unofficially to help you find out the truth about the Bachnor. Why would you want to help me? Because I already know the truth. 
You know who's responsible? I do. Who? You are? Well, not you personally, Commander. I know you to be an honorable man. You're not one to sneak around attaching implosion devices to impulse engines. But believe it or not, there are those of your brethren who are willing to do such things. Morally superior human beings and other members of the Federation. I'm supposed to take your word for that? Of course not. It's my job to convince you so you can clean up your own house instead of forcing us to do it for you, which would certainly endanger the new treaty. We'll need one of your runabouts. Where are we going? The Volan colonies? The demilitarized zone? Hmm. <laughs> Not so demilitarized, I'm afraid. Yeah, so, uh, you know, with this, Ducat showing up, I think, as, a, as it works really well. I've always thought he's a, he's a good character. He certainly has his own agenda, usually basically out for himself. But he does some things that are beyond that at times. And, and I think in this case is one of them. He, he wants to settle things. He wants to uh, get the truth out there. And, uh, and he, his, his ways a little bit later on, you'll, you find out that are a little more extreme than, of course, Cisco's. But, uh, you know, he wants to find out who's doing this and who the Maquis are to basically wipe them out. Uh, and, and and Cisco tries, of course, eventually to reason with them and things once he learns about stuff more. But uh, Ducat, I think, uh, is a good counterpoint. I've always thought Ducat for Deep Space Nine is kind of like, uh, you know, the cue for uh, for Picard. He, he kind of plays with them and, and gives them information occasionally and, and sees how he'll react. So uh, it, it works real well. Now, one big thing to keep in mind for this uh, this set of episodes, that one of the big thrusts for this w- that was going on at the time, this was not too long before um, Star Trek Voyager began uh, on the air, of course, or airing. I think about a year I think I think Voyager started in '95, so this this aired about a year before Voyager started. They had this idea; they wanted to have a, a group of sort of renegades or rebels uh, that would be involved with the Voyager storyline, and they wanted instead of having those introduced right on the first episode of Voyager and trying to cram all that information and stuff in there, they they set they kind of sowed the seeds for this in these episodes here on Deep Space Nine. They also have mentioned the uh, the Maquis a few times before on uh, The Next Generation and and so forth and, and the DMZ. So it, it's they've been sowing the seeds and setting things in motion to have this be, you know, eventually be a, a fairly important part of what happens for Voyager. And I think they do a good job of that. And I think it was a wise move. And one of the great things about when when TNG was airing and for those that, you know, watch TNG each week as it aired and then Deep Space Nine as it aired and it had overlap with, you know, we had Deep Space Nine and TNG airing at the same time. We'd get an episode, a new episode of each uh, each week. And you remember those days? <laughs> oh, boy, the glory days of Star Trek when we could get two, not just one new Star Trek episode each week, but two, two new Star Trek episodes. And then you brought in Voyager, and then that overlapped some with Deep Space Nine, so we had an episode of each of those for a while, and then, of course, Voyager, uh, eventually uh, we got Enterprise, and and it's just, um, 
But the reason I mentioned that is that allowed them to have you know things that intertwine between the series. These were all in the same time frame, except for Enterprise, of course. So they were able to cross things over, cross characters over, cross stories uh, and, and issues and things that going that were going on. And I think it made the overall you know Star Trek as a as a saga and as a franchise that much stronger because of that. You know they really were able to capitalize on that i don't know if they do that you know i i don't watch these shows like all these csi shows but i don't know if they 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 do a lot of crossover and 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 you know exchanges between those shows and if there's connections at all i always get this idea that they're just basically more or less the same show with different characters in separate cities but there's no real interaction that much but uh but anyway this this is really setting the stage for some of the things that happen later in voyager and uh, with that let's go on to another clip there's a fun kind of fun in a way i guess you could call it fun little side story here where a vulcan woman a very attractive vulcan woman named uh what is her character's name? Sakana? Is that how you say it? Sakana? She's played by an actress named Bertilla Bertili Damas. Damas? Gosh, these people's names. I don't know. B-E-R-T-I-L-A Damas. Anyway, uh, she is an, a, a Vulcan woman that comes to visit Quark and has sort of a proposition and a business offer for him, which kind of surprises him. And, and it's very obvious from the beginning when they first meet that Quark is kind of infatuated and taken with this Vulcan woman. Uh, one of the side stories with this is, I guess, uh, uh, the uh, Robert Blackman, who did a lot of costuming and designing of the costumes on all these Trek uh, shows, he had a very attractive, very more or less very sexy outfit for this Vulcan woman to wear for this uh, for this part on this episode. They were trying to 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 show Vulcans a little bit more, you know, use her feminine wiles on Quark and that kind of stuff. And it kind of make kind of makes sense to me, and, and given the context of the episode. Uh, but I guess uh, Rick Berman kind of shot down the idea, so they had to create a, a much less sexy costume for her to wear in this episode it's still a nice costume i think and it shows that she's got a pretty uh let's say ample figure uh is that the right word to use (laughs) but anyway uh but i just thought that was an interesting story that you know all costumes that are there you know at the last minute i guess rick berman kind of nixed it and and had them come up with a different outfit for sakana so anyway here's a bit of of quark and sakana talking i think over dinner that a Ferengi and a Vulcan can overcome their inherent differences to see eye to eye as we're doing. I've always had the greatest respect for Vulcans, even though the few I've met haven't exactly felt the same way about me. You're a noble people, and I salute you. What kind of business proposition do you have in mind? I wish to procure weapons. I beg your pardon? Guns, phaser banks, photon torpedoes, troop transports, and a number of cobalt thorium devices. My list is quite extensive. You're a gun runner? I am prepared to pay in latinum, and I will very likely need a continuous supply for the foreseeable future. You're not like other Vulcans, are you? Ha <laughs> Quark. Uh, leave it to Quark to fall for a Vulcan a woman that uh, not only probably couldn't ever return his affections, but is also a gunrunner for the Maquis. Yeah, she's... Uh, 
So, uh, and I, I really think it was a cool idea. You know, a Vulcan can do what you would think would might be not a good thing. But if they can logically determine that this is the best course of action, they'll do it. You know what I mean? There, there isn't really whether it's right or wrong with them. Is it logical? You know, and that's I, I, I like the fact that they put a Vulcan in this spot that didn't they didn't use some kind of like, you know, crazy, you know, kind of woman that was maybe kind of like Kira where she'd be like just kind of very emotional and and like I want to kill the Cardassians and get them out of the DMZ and all that. They use this very stoic Vulcan, you know, woman who says, I need to procure some phaser banks and some photon torpedoes and oh some cobalt thorium, you know, thing devices and blah blah blah. <laughs> it's like Quark like nearly spits out his drink. What? What what did you what what? Uh uh oh you're a gun runner? You know, a Vulcan? Come on. So, come on. Anyway, uh, I liked it. I thought that was good. Next clip we've got for you. This uh, There's a good interplay a couple times throughout these couple of episodes between Kira and Cisco. Cisco has a lot of kind of soul-searching and thinking about what's going on here during these sets of episodes and what's sort of right and wrong. And, you know, that's one of the great things about Deep Space Nine, I think, in general. And Kira, of course, who was part of uh, an occupation by the Cardassians for a long time has obviously some strong feelings about this kind of situation. So they, they end up having a, a couple of good conversations, and here's one of them in, uh, in the first episode of this set. Sir, are, are we facing the prospect of war here? Not if I can help it. But that's what the colonists are after. I don't think they know what they're after, Major. I just know they have to be stopped. And it's Starfleet's job to stop them. Sir, I know this is none of my business. But you're going to give me your opinion anyway. I don't know what the Cardassians told you. They played a confession of the man who planted the bomb. A man they most likely tortured to death. And you don't think you might be playing into their hands? I've got people out there killing people, Major. You suggest I turn a blind eye to that? Well, they don't have a right to defend themselves? They've crossed the line. If Starfleet is unwilling to defend their people... They chose to live with the Cardassians. Well, I didn't. But I lived with them for 26 years before the liberation came. Every Bajoran lived with them in constant fear. I know what those colonists are going through. Most of all, I know that the Cardassians can't be trusted to keep their side of the bargain in this treaty. So, you'd suggest the Federation not keep our side of the bargain either, perhaps by arming these colonists? I can tell you one thing for certain. The Cardassians are the enemy, not your own colonists. And if Starfleet can understand that, then the Federation is even more naive than I already think it is. Again, a real a good good moment for the episode, a, a strong scene. It, it, you know, again, one of the great things about DS9 is is everything isn't just cut and dry, black and white. There's all this gray area that they're having to deal with being out on the kind of the cutting edge and the frontier of space like they are. One thing I always kind of wonder when I think about these episode, this episode a little bit, and, and it happens in other times in Trek DS9. It happens in all the series. You've got all of space. You've got the whole Federation, right? Okay. Space is big. Lots of planets. It's mentioned many times in all the Star Trek episodes. Why did you pick a colony that's so close to a known enemy of the Federation to to put down roots and, 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 and you know, 
start your life or whatever, whatever you do out there in these colonies. I don't know really what they do. They always look like they're pretty much in little huts and, and farmers. You know, it's kind of, really? We're, we're in the 24th century and that's what you guys do? And maybe some of them like it, but it just seems like they all do that. Anyway, that's a little bit of a side point. But again, you have lots of solar systems, lots of places to live. And that's where you go now. Okay, the people out there are probably already saying, but hey, they want to challenge. They want to, you know, whatever. But okay, I'm, I'm good with some people doing that, but it seems like a lot of people do that. It seems like that happens a lot. They're always out on these distant colonies, you know, that are real close to Romulan space or, or Cardassian space or who knows what, you know, space anomaly this or space creature that, I don't know. I, it's just a kind of a little point. And of course, again, that goes into the whole area of, you know, you need something to deal with in the in Star Trek. Not everything can be perfect, and and you you need you need some situations to happen. But I just find that happens a little too much. You know, I guess is is all I'm saying. Not nothing bad, and I still love this set of episodes and love Deep Space Nine, and and it's all good. But uh, I I it just had to point it out. It just seems like it happens an inordinate amount of time. So let's get on to another clip. This is Hudson, and I think this is when. Uh, Cal Hudson first reveals that he is actually a traitor, more or less, to Starfleet, uh, uh, to the Federation, and uh, not doing, you know, the way the job he's supposed to be doing. And when Cisco finds out about him, when they go hunting for these Maquis, Cisco finds uh, his old buddy is one of them, and basically the leader of them. I'm glad to see you had no trouble finding us, Ben. It seems that one disaster after another keeps bringing us back together again. Yeah, that's kind of a shorter clip, but that was where they ended kind of in a cliffhanger uh, for the first uh, part of the Maquis. Uh, one one thing about a two-part Trek uh, set of episodes always is they, they spend a lot of the first episode generally setting everything up, you know, in motion, setting things into play and, and what's going to happen. And, and so you get a lot of exposition to a degree, although I think this one is a pretty good, they do a good job. Things move along pretty well. And then we get into the second episode, and I want to get into this clip right now pretty pretty soon about uh, this happens uh, early in the episode. You know, a few of them have gone off to find the Maquis. They found Hudson there, and this is his sort of explanation of the why he's doing what he's doing to uh, to Cisco as they take a little walk through the jungle, which was done on, on all on sound stages. I think it's soundstage 18 on the Paramount lot uh, where all a lot of this uh, planet side stuff was filmed for these episodes back of the beyond and build homes out of the wilderness now maybe the federation can turn their backs on them but i can i'm not asking you to but you're joining the marquis isn't helping anyone your actions have only endangered the treaty and put millions of lives at risk the federation believes that it can solve every problem with a treaty but out here on the frontier without the power of the federation to back them up a treaty is only a piece of paper do you have evidence that the Central Command has violated the treaty? Not yet, but we will. If you're depending on Gold Decott for proof, you're going to be disappointed. We'll find out, won't we? I want him back, Cam. He's not here. Then where is he? I never thought I'd see the day when you'd side with a Cardassian against me. 
Damn it, Kel, I'm on your side. You've got a funny way of showing it, Ben. I'm trying to stop you from making one of the biggest mistakes of your life. The Federation believes in the treaty. If you destroy it, Starfleet will come after you, and they won't be satisfied until you're behind bars. If we work together to end the violence... The violence will never end as long as Central Command continues to smuggle weapons to their colonies. I wish there were a better way to handle this thing. I really do. Nobody wants peace any more than the Maquis. And you're willing to blow up Cardassian ships to get it? The Vaknor will never smuggle weapons again, and its crew members won't be returning home to their families either. Yeah, so uh, his friend, you know, Hudson, thinks he's doing he's doing the right thing here. You know, the Cardassians, they say, are arming their colonists. The Central Command is, which is basically, you know, the Starfleet of Cardassia, they're they're giving their colonists weapons so that, you know, the, the Maquis want to make sure that they're armed, the, you know, the Federation people that are there are armed as well. You know, kind of much like the, the private little war episode of TOS where there's, you know, on this planet and there are these two groups and that and they want to make sure each uh, has arms and are equally armed. But, uh, yeah, I think there's an argument to be said on both sides. Um, the next clip here I have for you, this is a really good one. I think there's some good... Uh, very, very important points in this one, this lines that are uh, said, and I think it works well for this episode. So listen to this. Are you questioning Federation policy, Commander? All I know is that the situation in the demilitarized zone is deteriorating rapidly. Personally, I think you're overstating the problem. Establish a dialogue with the Maquis. They're still Federation citizens. I'm sure they'll listen to reason. Good luck, Commander. Establish a dialogue? What the hell does she think I've been trying to do? Commander. Just because a group of people belong to the Federation, it does not mean that they are saints. Excuse me. Do you know what the trouble is? No. The trouble is Earth. Really? On Earth, there is no poverty, no crime, no war. You look out the window of Starfleet headquarters and you see paradise. Well, it's easy to be a saint in paradise. But the Marquis do not live in paradise. Out there, in the demilitarized zone, all the problems haven't been solved yet. Out there, there are no saints, just people. Angry, scared, determined people who are going to do whatever it takes to survive, whether it meets with the Federation approval or not. Makes sense to me. I'm glad someone understands. Legate Parn's ship just put in at Docking Bay 5. Maybe you'd like to give the same speech to him. I just might do that. Yeah, I think that's a great uh, part there. And and, and some of the background info on this uh, set of episodes, uh, one of the things they tried to establish, you know, in Deep Space Nine, especially pretty early on still here in season two with, you know, things aren't all perfect. It, It is, you know, the Star Trek world and universe and Gene Roddenberry's creation was this idea that, that everything has been solved, you know, everybody's happy with each other. There aren't any conflicts of that, uh, you know, really anymore. And on Earth, like Cisco says, that's a very important point. On Earth, it's it is basically like paradise. There isn't any crime or poverty or or you know or problems like there normally are. Although I still find that a little hard to swallow completely. I mean, in general, it's probably true. But you always have heard in different episodes, the little things do happen still. Um, but uh, but here, out here on the frontier and everything, like he says. It isn't paradise. So the, these people, they, they, you know, it's easy to be sort of high, you know, like the admiral there that is talking at the beginning of the clip to to 
Cisco, you know, she's basically like, you know, get these guys to understand reason. You know, what's the problem? Why won't they? They're, they're Federation citizens. They know how things work. And, and she can't quite comprehend, uh, you know, that's uh, Admiral uh, Nechev. You see her in a, in a variety of Trek episodes. Uh, but they don't seem to be able to comprehend that everything isn't all neat and tidy and perfect out here on the frontier. And that uh, line about uh, it's easy to be a saint in paradise is a great line. And it's something they were trying, I guess, to work into Star Trek for a while, and especially into Deep Space Nine. But, uh, you know, it, it's just, you know, it's great to be, you know, on your high horse kind of feeling and, and everything being perfect when it, when it is perfect. And, but when it's not, you, you sometimes have to do things that uh, are a little extreme. The, the Maquis probably have gone too far. Uh, but, uh, you know, in their minds, they, they have good reasons. So uh, another clip here now with, I think this is between Cisco and his buddy Cal again. And I think this is sort of the last ditch, like, um, where uh, Cisco has this uh, gesture where he goes to try to, uh, one last try to reason with Cal and get him to kind of come back to the to the good side, to the to the Starfleet side. And, uh, well, it doesn't get, uh, it doesn't, it's not met very well or, or accepted by his buddy, but he had to try, so. So please make sure you pass along what I'm about to tell you. There is a treaty currently in place with Cardassia and the Federation. If you make yourself an enemy of Cardassia, you make yourself an enemy of the Federation. That is outrageous. Agreed. I know the Marquis is planning to attack a Cardassian weapons depot. My advice to them and to you is to call it off because I'll be waiting there and I will stop you. A very rousing speech, Ben. I suppose my best rebuttal would be to kill you. But you won't. What is this? Your uniform. You always were an optimist. I have every reason to be. The way I see it, now that we've stopped the shipments of Cardassian weapons, there's no longer any need for the Maquis. You and I can work together to reach a peace agreement with the Cardassian colonies. It's too late for that. Is it? We're in a war here, and I intend to win it. I could use your help, Ben. And I'm asking you as a friend. As a friend? I have to say no. If you attack the depot, you'll have to get through me first. I hope not. I truly hope not. Yeah, and that, that uh, you know, Cisco goes down and, and tries to reason with his buddy, and he brings him this uh, uniform in a little bag. And I didn't, I cut the audio uh, recording when I was getting the clips together, but right after that scene you just heard, Cal shoots his phaser. You almost think he's going to shoot uh, Cisco, but he, he shoots his phaser at the little bag with his uniform in it and, and makes it vaporize, which <laughs> when I watched that scene, and especially since it's right next to Cisco, I, I was like, well, what if you missed a little bit? You know, I mean, I know it's dramatic and all, but it, it kind of is like silly, really, when you think about it. It's like, first off, what if you miss? Second, did you really need to do that? You know, you could have taken the bag and thrown it back at your buddy and said, no, thanks or something. I don't, I don't know. It's just it's I found it kind of strange and a little bit odd in a way, especially since, like I said, the, the bag is sitting like inches away from from where Cisco's standing. 
uh, and I've always kind of wondered about that with phasers. You know, you're, you're you're setting it on, you know, basically vaporize something and turn it from matter to energy, I guess, is the way you could kind of look at it. And it's you point it at this object, and if you're kind of like standing behind it, well, what, what makes it stop at that point? What makes it just hit that object and not keep going? And then when the object is dissolved or disintegrated, doesn't the beam just sort of carry on through? Or do you, I, I don't know, that, that gets into a whole, how do phasers really work? We want to know. Us Trekkies want to know. Come on. Anyway, I'm sure there's probably somewhere on the internet somebody's tried to figure out a way how all that reason out some really with some possible pseudoscience physics stuff of how that could work. But uh, well beyond this show, maybe we'll do a show on that. How do all, you know, technology, uh, what, what's the, the sort of pseudoscientific reasoning behind stuff? Yeah, I'll, I'll keep that in mind. I don't know if people will be interested in that. But there's a lot of that out there. I've read some of it before, you know, warp speed and everything. And Okay, uh, let's wrap this up, though, with this episode, set of episodes. We've got a couple of clips left for you. What this turns into later, uh, we get a couple of runabouts. I think there's a couple of them that go out to stop Hudson and his his group, and they, they end up having some battles in space, which are pretty well done. And, 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 you know, Deep Space Nine in the first couple of seasons, even though they certainly made up for it by the later seasons with the whole war with the Dominion, but they didn't have a lot of space battles, really. You know, there wasn't a lot of opportunity for that. For one, Deep Space Nine was a station, a stationary station, and the runabouts, you know, would occasionally get into a little bit of a, a, a a, a fracas, a fight, uh, but they hadn't, you know, they haven't brought on the Defiant yet. They didn't have the Defiant there at the station, so there weren't a lot of space uh, fighting. But here you get a couple, some runabouts fighting, some phasers going off, and and uh, Cisco is out there to stop Hudson, which he eventually does, and then that leads to the the, the one clip here, and then there's a little ending clip uh, uh, after that uh, that I'll I'll play. I think I'm going to play them back to back, and then we'll uh, come back and wrap up the rest of this episode. He's getting away. You run now, I won't be able to protect you. Starfleet will track you down. You won't be safe anywhere, not even in the colonies. Don't be so sure. I have a lot of friends here. Besides, I've got to help the Maquis finish this thing. You'll be an outlaw, a hunted man. Maybe. You're throwing away your entire life. And beginning a new one. What are you waiting for? He's helpless. Finish him. I'm going to miss you, Ben. You've been a good friend. So have you. No! I thought you were strong, Commander. You're not. You're a fool. A sentimental fool. I said I'd stop the Marquis, and I have. But I would not kill a good man for defending his home. You disappoint me. Don't expect me to lose any sleep over it. Mr. O'Brien, when you get a chance, I could use some help with these engines. Yes, sir. Commander, Gul Dukat has left the station. I'm sure he's glad to be going home. Chief O'Brien says that the Orinoco and the Rio Grande will be up and running in a few days. Thank you, Major. I just got a communique from Starfleet congratulating me on my good work and thanking me for preserving the peace with the Cardassians. You deserve it. You prevented a war. Did I? Or did I just delay the inevitable? 
Yeah, so there you have the end of uh, the second part of the Maquis. Uh, a really good, uh, I think, set of episodes uh, from Deep Space Nine. Solid uh, performances, good story, and uh, some good action and everything like that. Good use of all most of the characters. You don't see uh, Jake, you don't see uh, Cisco's son in these episodes at all. Uh, to give you some uh, future background, a couple things. One, the, the, you do see some, like, uh, a Klingon, a Native American as part of the Maquis, as some of the other help that uh, Hudson has on his side. So that sort of leads into, you know, Chakotay and Tuvok being part of the Maquis, and, and later, and that leads into Voyager. And they're not supposed to be those characters, but it, it crosses uh, different uh, species line, you know, things. A little bit about the demilitarized zone and what eventually becomes of that later, if you're, if you're a little uh, fuzzy or don't know on that. Uh, it, it does continue to have battles and, and little uh, small-scale affairs between the Cardassians and the Federation colonists that are there for the next several years. Eventually, though, um, when the Klingon War starts to happen and the Klingon, I should say, the Klingon Cardassians start to battle, the Klingon or the Cardassians have to sort of pull out of that area, the military side of things, and the Maquis pretty much take control of of the DMZ and and more or less win. However, it's kind of a short victory because the Jem'Hadar later win. That whole thing starts with the Dominion War. The Jem'Hadar start to take over that section and and. Uh, you know, take over Cardassia space and and the DMZ, and the DMZ basically eventually just kind of goes away and gets wiped out. So, uh, uh, just some future, like I said, future things that happen in some background. But again, I, I think these are great episodes, and and again, it shows how how really rich and, and interesting the Deep Space Nine universe is, instead of uh, episodes that they do on that show, and and really great. Great stuff, always fun to watch again and cover on Treks in Sci-Fi. Each time I get a chance, every couple of months, to do some Deep Space Nine, I look forward to it a lot. Uh, I'm going to take a short break, I think, and we'll come up, uh, come up, come back, wrap up today's podcast with a couple last comments. Do you remember playing great PC games like King's Quest, Command & Conquer, and X-Wing? Do you remember spending hours tweaking your config sys and auto-exec bat files to eke out just one more K of conventional memory? If you do, then you may be interested in my show, The Upper Memory Block. Every two weeks we talk in-depth about a game, game series, company, or technology from the DOS and pre-Windows XP gaming era. We'll discuss the story, gameplay, and technology of the games of the time, but more importantly we're going to focus on what made each game special, interesting stories from their development, and how they shaped what PC gaming is today. If you remember gaming in the late 80s and early 90s, or you're interested in finding out more about it, come join your host Joe in The Upper Memory Block. That's the Upper Memory Block Podcast at umbcast.com, or find it on iTunes. All right, so uh, I hope you guys enjoyed that look at uh, the Maquis and, and the other uh, talk and comments that I had earlier in uh, today's podcast. Always fun to come back after a couple of weeks and do a new show, and I, I think this one went well. It came out uh, a little quicker than I thought it would. Uh, a couple last things. One, uh, like I mentioned earlier, we are on Facebook now. Join our Treks and Sci-Fi Facebook group. Or also join the forum. Uh, leave reviews on iTunes. Also, uh, podcast donations. All the information for all of that you can find uh, over at treksandsci-fi.com. Uh, and the other new thing is just a day or two ago, I, I signed up, got us all signed up on Stitcher Radio. S-T-I-T-C-H. 
ER radio. If you're an iUser, iPhone, iPad, I think Android's got apps for this too. Uh, it's, it's a way to listen to podcasts and other uh, usually like talk radio kind of stuff like I like to call it. On your mobile devices, you can also find them online uh, as well. They have a regular website. You can sign up and, uh, you know, so uh, you can, you know, just search for treksinsci-fi.com or just, I guess, just Trex, Trex in Sci-Fi should do it. And you'll find the podcast there. For I got to update some things still, though. For some reason, I only see, like, the most recent podcast that was from last week. I don't know why they don't just pull in the whole RSS feed and have my whole back catalog there listed. Maybe I need to do something in the setup uh, or something. I'll look into that uh, ho- hopefully today or in the next couple of days and, and see if I can get that all, all in there, too. Uh, so Stitcher Radio, Facebook, all kinds of cool things. Uh, happy 30th anniversary, a couple, few days ago, earlier this week, to The Wrath of Khan. Came out on June 4th, 1982. Yes, 30 years ago, Wrath of Khan was in theaters for the summer. And I can still remember going uh, multiple times that summer to see that movie. Just so fantastic, such a great film. And, and is uh, cool to watch on Blu-ray now that we, uh, we can have that too in a high-def version. So... The Wrath of Khan, 30 years old. Uh, if you haven't gotten yet or want to check into it, I put a post uh, up on Facebook. There's been some posts there on the main site. But TNG, The Next Generation, is going to do that movie showing of a couple of first season episodes and a behind-the-scenes look at their making of the Blu-ray uh, season one set. Uh, that's going to be, I believe it's July 23rd. Uh, just search around on treksandsci-fi.com. You'll find a story. We have posts on the forum, posts on the Facebook page about that. Uh, but yeah, TNG in theaters for one night only. I think it's Monday, July 23rd. So you may have a theater in your area that, that's showing it. I have a few. Uh, and I think it's just the United States only. So sorry, Canada and Mexico and other areas of the world. Uh, but uh, I'm definitely going to go. I think it'll be a lot of fun and looking forward to that. What is coming up on the podcast is following, uh, or actually I only have really the next couple of weeks lined up right now. Uh, Next weekend, I I think uh, I may have said earlier when I was talking a little bit about Prometheus, but you're going to have the alien guys, Al and Brian are going to be here, and they're going to talk about Alien 3 for all of you. And I'm sure they'll touch a little bit on some other things like Prometheus maybe, perhaps. Uh, But uh, that's next weekend uh, on Sunday. That is uh, June 17th. June 24th, I'm going to look at a classic 50s sci-fi film called This Island Earth. I like to throw those in now and then when I can uh, to to show people that, yes, there were some cool, fun sci-fi films back in those times. A little schlocky in parts, but uh, hey, uh, there's nothing wrong with that, right? Uh, So This Island Earth on June 24th. Uh, The next one after that, I don't have outlined, but that would be a July 1st show. I could use a guest host for that one that that would be scheduled to be a guest host spot uh so um if you'd like to do a show just shoot me an email treksf at gmail.com if you're a forum member just shoot me a message and we'll work something out so i think that's just about going to do it um uh, one last thing i am going to play here as i wrap up the show there's a new star trek uh the motion picture three cd soundtrack out there's a story on that on, uh, I think it's over at trekmovie.com. I think I put an article up both on the forum and on the Facebook page uh, about where you can buy this set. But Sean Cassidy, uh, a pretty popular boy, uh, vocalist, star, 
Oh, uh, you know, he was he was like the the the, the guy that all the girls loved back in the seventies, uh, singer. Uh, but anyway, he is uh, he did this song that was a, a lyrical a song with lyrics to the Ilea theme from Star Trek: The Most Picture. Yes, believe it or not, and it's a little corny and schlocky and a little funny in a way to hear it. Uh, the audio quality isn't the best, but I thought I'd play it for you at the end of today's podcast. And uh, you can get that. You get that little piece of, of uh, vocal history and other things on this new, is a pretty spectacular 3D set of uh, the Next Generation soundtrack that you can buy. I think it's $30 or $39. I don't know what it was, but uh, I'm going to order a copy. I'm going to try to get that for myself. So that'll that'll be uh, right after I finish today's show. So listen for that. And uh, I think that's about it. Thanks, everyone, so much always for listening to the show, downloading and sticking with me. Uh, we're getting closing in on uh, Podcast 400. <laughs> I'm kind of thinking that Podcast 400 is going to coincide pretty closely with the seventh anniversary. Yes, the show was started, the podcast was started in 2005. So I think we may be able to sync that up. And I usually do a live video kind of show uh, for the for the anniversary shows usually happens around Labor Day weekend. Uh, but I think the yeah, the 400th podcast and that uh, 7th anniversary show are going to end up pretty much almost the same weekend. So that would be kind of cool, right? So uh, I've got that to uh, look forward to in a couple of months. Uh, but everyone, any, every, <laughs> okay, definitely time for me to stop now. Everyone have a great week. I will talk to you in two weeks. Alien guys are here next week. Yes, they are aliens. I believe they are. They both live out there in that weird southwest part of the United States. It's kind of looks alien, you know, has weird mountains and weird rock structures and and dry country and crazy uh, weird creatures. And and, uh, and they're crazy weird creatures, too. But anyway, Alan and Brian next week, Alien 3. Uh, Probably not the best of the alien films, but I'm sure they're going to make... uh, people uh, be interested more in it and give us a lot of cool info and uh, on that. So it will be good, and uh, I'm looking forward to doing this Island Earth in two. So everyone, go see some movies. Go see Prometheus. Go see Men in Black if you haven't seen it. Go see Dark Shadows. Go see The Avengers. If you've not seen The Avengers yet, go right now. You need to go see The Avengers. So uh, there's my pitch for going to see some summer movies. And We've got a little bit of a lull when it comes to sci-fi and, and, and that kind of stuff and fantasy films. I guess the big one that pops into my head that's next is the one that's July 2nd. It's coming out, 3rd, something like that. I think it's the 3rd, right before the 4th of July is the Spider-Man film. Uh, so uh, so that should be good. Okay, take care, everyone. I'll talk to you again real soon. And here's Sean Cassidy singing the Ilea love theme. Yes, you heard it here first on Treks in Sci-Fi. Bye-bye. There's a star beyond time Floating in space Waiting for you and me Though we're planets apart Love is the Star that will 
Treks in Sci-Fi.